any of those teams that you play for that did you end up like coaching or no? <clears throat> the teams I played for? Yeah, any of the teams you played for, like Triple A or any of the like travel teams when you were growing up, or did they not have travel ball then? They didn't have travel ball when I was young. That's why I tell these kids nowadays they got it made. They didn't have indoor facilities. They didn't have travel ball. I mean, travel ball was basically if you win the league at Cavs, you go on to play the winner at Riverside or or Delaware. That's pretty much it. Now they go to my travel team. We went to South Carolina last year. We're going to Louisville this year. That's travel. Yeah. Did you do you think it's easier nowadays for kids to get recruited and get exposed to the next level because of all those things? Because I feel like when. Yeah, because I feel like when you were growing up, it was like if your team wasn't good, you weren't getting looked at, regardless of how good you were. Well, nowadays, as coaches and and travel organizations and stuff like that, you take them to go get seen. We we go to New Jersey Diamond Nation. There's 150 scouts there every weekend, from Chuco to D1, D2, D3 to the pros. They got scouts there all all weekend long. When mm-hmm. I grew up playing. Again, I played at Cavs. Nobody coming to Cavs to watch you play. You know, <laughs> maybe in school if you're lucky. But the problem getting recruited from high school is colleges are playing at the same time for baseball. You know. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. What do coaches? I mean, you talk to a lot of coaches. So, <clears throat> what are coaches really looking for in a player aside from their um, talent? Character, for sure. You know, that's one. I mean, I tell I tell my boys I'm coaching that my team now is 16 years old. I tell them when they show up to a tournament, especially a showcase tournament, these scouts are watching you from the time you walk out of your car to the time the game's over to see how you act, see what you're doing, see how you interact with your teammates. You know, they're looking for leadership, character, all that stuff. I mean, and grades. I mean, grades are number one. You know that. You went to college and played a sport. Yeah, grades are number one. If you don't have the grades, they're they're not even going to look at you anymore. You know, Justin was a good, decent ball player. He was a pretty good baseball player, and I know some colleges were looking at him, but then they saw his grades and they were like, "Yep, we're not looking no more." <laughs> well, mid eighties, mid eighties aren't going to do it for you, you know. No, it's no, it's not. I mean, I had high grades all throughout high school, and I still like just, and that's like. So it's like the scholarships on top of it are super, what's the word, competitive on on top of it. Did, um, now, because I want to know more about you, but more so for people that are listening. What, um, what was it like growing up in South Buffalo? Obviously, you moved out to Depew, you're living in Depew now, or now you're in West Seneca, actually. But yep. um, growing up, what was your uh, childhood like? <laughs> It was fun. You'd got on your bike and you were gone all day. You know, we'd play we'd play a baseball game, not to just keep coming up, but we'd play a baseball game at 10 o'clock in the morning. And when the games are all over, everybody would stay at the park and play pickup baseball or play steamball timing or go play basketball or, you know, go do what you got to do. And it was just so much fun. There was, it wasn't – you weren't worried about anything. You were just gone until the streetlights came on and then you came home. Me, personally, I didn't have a – a great household to come home to. So if I came home, I did. If not, nobody was going to yell at me. I mean, my mom passed away when I was 11. So, uh-huh. and my dad was hardly ever home. He enjoyed a beverage or two, you know, it's South Buffalo. Yeah. <clears throat> and so my sisters raised me and be out all, all night long playing. And it was great as a kid, as you got older, you know, you, you go to Cavs park, you go to different parks, you hang out with your buddies and whatever happens, happens. We could, you know, but, it was a good time. It's it's not like nowadays kids don't even go outside. It's funny you say that because I was just – I forget who I was talking to the other day, but I was driving around. Like, I was just aimlessly driving around in between, like, things I had to do for work. And I was like, yo, no one plays outside anymore. I don't nope. see people riding bikes. I don't see people in the front yard. <laughs> you remember, like – obviously, you know this. Like, we – Justin and I would live in the driveway playing hockey, baseball – capture the flag that little snow mountain hill that you had in uh the house in the pew well now it's tiny to us but at the time when we were kids it was massive we yeah. ride sleds we did everything that's uh, yeah that's why i wanted to ask because it's so different now compared to you know like when you were growing up and stuff like that were you closer with um Deneen or uh anita growing up or was it like a mix of both probably anita <clears throat> i mean we had to, to talk about stuff we had street hockey teams and each street had their own hockey team. And we'd go South Buffalo. We'd go 
to their neighborhood and play them, and they'd come to our neighborhood and play us. My sister Anita was a goalie. <laughs> she was good. She was a tomboy. She was, yeah. That's that's just, that's. Well, I didn't know she you threw in that. Was it more so of like she wanted to play with you guys, and you're just like the only way you're playing is you better get in between the cage no. or. No, she, we wanted her to play goalie. She was good. That's funny. That's well, we funny. Had, we had a really good. We had a really good team on our street. We had a bunch of guys that played, you know, hockey at a higher level per se. Yeah. And you know, we'd go play, you know, a school, a, team, a street at Lorraine Academy, which used to be seventy-two, or our home, our home rink in quotations was Bishop Timon parking lot when I, we lived on Strathmore. It was yeah. like. So I was closer to Anita. Deneen moved out when she was 17 after, you know, after my mom passed away and everything like that. She t- she she moved out and went and lived with my aunt just because, you know, I've told you the history about my dad. I don't want to get too much into it. No, 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 no. We but, don't need to talk you know, about <clears throat> you know, my hey. dad. My dad was a different cat and some people could handle it and some people couldn't. No, of know? course. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I was closer to Anita for sure. When did uh is when did Michigan was that after she met her or oh, after she no yeah after she got married they lived they lived in Waldorf Maryland first mm-hmm. and then they moved to Michigan afterwards it was for Jerry's jobs for my brother in law's oh, job okay. yeah speaking of which because uh, it needs to be said on here do you remember obviously you remember but when you took us I don't remember how young we were but you took us to uh, Penn State. Oh, is this the bike story? <laughs> story. Uh, when you, it was like the, snowball, the snowball scene where he's just pegging. Yeah. What was it? A little, little like Nerf football or some shit. Yep. Yep. You were driving. How many yards away were you? Oh, jeez. Ah, it was a ways away. You remember? And I told Probably you I was going to hit him. Yeah, it's probably a good 50, 60 yards, and you're just like, I'm going to hit this guy on the bike, and not thinking you would actually hit him because he was moving. And literally, like, the circle that's on the spindle um, frame is spot on as it could be. <laughs> right over the handlebars. <laughs> yeah, I, and then there was that dude. I know you remember this. Then there was that guy, nerdy, with a smoke show of a girl. And every time they had a um, first down, he was just chanting and screaming. Oh. And she was just sitting there, like, mortified, like, can you stop? <laughs> yeah, he'd stand up and yell, first down. Yeah, that was and a man, fun weekend. Was... Yeah, yeah, that was the only time I've been to a Michigan State game. I didn't get, I didn't get the chance to go um, to Michigan, uh, to the big house. I mean, we played Michigan and lacrosse, but that was their first, like, their first year. Um, and they came to us. So, that was I never got the chance to do that. Um, are you still – who uh, Thanksgiving this year? The Detroit game? Yes. When do you when do you guys leave? We're leaving Wednesday, coming back Friday, short trip. Think how you think yeah. the Dumbass. I have I have no idea. I ain't putting a penny on on them ever. Ever? They're ridiculous. I just I just don't think I, I have I have no opinion on it. I have no idea what the hell they're doing. But I tell you what, if they move this weekend's game to Detroit, maybe I'll take a whole week off. That's true. Wait, why? Because, oh, Thanksgiving's next week. That's right. I don't think yeah. they're going to move it, though. That'd be stupid as hell. We've had these games every single – we have games like this almost every single year. There's a storm that comes every single year. I don't – like, I don't understand. Like, Wegmans today was just absolutely mopped. Like, nothing yeah. on the shelves, like, as if it's the apocalypse. No, I know. I saw it. I saw all the pictures. <laughs> Yeah, no. So, um, growing up, obviously, Justin and I are what a year, year and a half apart. Um, yeah. Growing up, it felt like we did everything together. When um, we were growing up, I never asked you this question because I don't even know if there is. But growing up, obviously, always being around you, always being around Justin, and then like our family always being like, uh, I would say like close and always doing stuff like that. What has being a dad and being an uncle? taught you that you may not have ever thought would have been the case if there's anything just from always being around obviously justin and then when justin and i are together so you're playing the father and uncle role at the same time sometimes what has that like taught you when you like look back on it i mean i don't know if it taught me anything to be honest with you i always 
thought of you as my son too. You know what I mean? Not just my nephew. No, I know that. Yeah. So that's just how, and I treated you sometimes like you were my son, <laughs> like the basketball game when I made you sit against the wall. Speaking of which, yeah, I need to, <laughs> that was what I wanted to ask with your coaching and stuff like that. I know last um we were talking about this because I was telling you, um, you're the type of coach. Um, I don't know about what anyone else would say, but from my point of view, you scream like no other, like you explode and then you like, cu- like cuss people out like that. Like, I, I'm not saying it in a bad way. I'm just saying that like, like that old school, like you're going to hear about it type of way. And we were saying how kids nowadays, they're not receptive to that. Like they were like me, it never really bothered me. It would just more so. Um, I would only like, I would say bark back if I thought that it was unwarranted and I didn't really think I messed up or did something that bad. But then there's other times where I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. I'm going to take that out. Um, how, how, how much have you had to change like your coaching style? Cause I remember you were telling me there was a kid that you were getting on and he just was completely defeated. And he was like, he said, made it- he thought you didn't like him cause you were doing that to be. Stuff, but then once you broke it down, down to him, like why you are the way you, you are, he was more receptive to you. Well, that's, I mean, my coaching style is a little different than most. I am louder. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I learned to do that because parents are yelling, players are yelling. I want my players to hear me. Sometimes yeah. me yelling ain't yelling at you. Sometimes it's just so you can hear me. But like that instance, I remember what we were talking about. It was probably my, one of my better players, if not my best player, thought I was just being hard on him for no reason when i explained to him i thought he could be the best player ever to come out of the school and i just mm-hmm. you know i expect more out of him that's when he realized oh yeah i get it but coaching is there's you, you got to treat everybody different because like you said some guys are receptive to it some aren't but when i yell if i sit there and i get mad if you ever played for me in travel or high school or something like that when they come off the field i have them come sit next to me and i explain to them what they did and how they did it wrong and how to do it right and, and in a normal tone of voice and everything like that. Uh, like just an example, my travel team, I've lost two guys in the last four years. Everybody else comes back. So obviously they must like my coaching style. I know the parents do because they it, it makes it makes the players accountable. Yeah. You know, and I also surround myself with other coaches that will be like, you know, that's just Coach Dennis. That's just his way of doing this and that. Again, we'll go back to Tony. I got my other coaches and travel, my coach, coach John and coach Mike and guys like that, that are different than me. But yeah, I'm a little more old school. I definitely am. Like I was, Justin, I was really hard on, you know, that I was very hard on Justin, but when he went mm-hmm. to play high school basketball, he came to me and said, nope, you weren't bad. <laughs> His high school basketball coach was a lot tougher than I was without a doubt, but he was, he uh, was ready for it. You know what I mean? Coach Jones. I'm not saying no names. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not saying no names. Yes. Um, well, yeah, it's interesting. Do you think that um, one thing I keep getting from like, uh, cause I know like uh, a friend of mine that was on that she noticed that I have a lot of sports people on, but obviously that's what I grew up in. That's what I'm most connected to. Um, sure. And one of the things that I keep coming back to from whether talking with Frank, I know you know Frank, um, yep. is that a lot of coaches that in the moment when we're kids were where we were like, oh, he's such a dick, like, fuck him. He's such an asshole. We look back and it's a, wow, we see what they were trying to do now that we are young men and we're adults. And it's almost like our responsibility to you know, give back or to be like the leaders of the next generation for the youth. If like, cause Frank coaches lacrosse and obviously still plays for the bandits. Um, if I ever decide to get, to get into coaching and stuff like that, we look at it from the perspective of when we were kids, we didn't understand what you were trying to do because as a kid, all you're thinking about is I just want to play, have fun. You're not really thinking about adult life and, and all those things. Do you think that the best coaches are the hardest coaches or do you think that there's a way that you could be a little bit more soft? Um, because I think there's good coaches that don't necessarily prepare kids for the next level, whatever that is, whether it's, you know, their job after sports or, um, allowing them to become men or any of those type of things. And then there's coaches that are just on you 24 seven. And then there's people like me who 
even if I didn't agree with their philosophies, I understood where they were coming from. And then I used like what they taught us for whatever I decided next. Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of different ways to coach. They really, I mean, you could, I, I wouldn't say, I, I don't think, I mean, I don't want a rah, rah clapping type guy all the time. I think mm-hmm. that wouldn't get anything done to be honest with you. And not, you know, there's a certain bills coach that every time the bills do something wrong, they show him clapping on the sideline. I'd like to see him grab somebody's face mask once in a blue moon. But, yeah, the rah-rah guy, everything's okay. Baseball cards and bubble gum for everybody. It's just not going to work, in my opinion. It's just my opinion. I've seen it. I've coached long enough. I've coached against guys like that, and we just bury them. Now, listen, is winning everything? No, 100% no. I tell my kids all the time, I don't care if we win or lose. My goal is to make sure the kid or a young man is better at the end of the year that I have them from when I first got them. That's all mm-hmm. I care about. I don't care if we win or lose. If they're getting ready to go into high school, I want them to be able to make their high school team. If they're getting ready to go to college, I want them to be able to make the college team. I don't care about trophies. If, if you've been to my house many times, you see trophies in my house anywhere? Yeah, all over. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. No, not at all. There's no trophies in my house whatsoever. I threw them all out or I give them away to the kids because I don't care about the trophies. I don't care about winning. But if you teach the right way, the wins come. Yeah. And that's what yeah. I tell them. I, I got to explain it. But I, as far as coaching styles, there's all different kinds. And people deal with them all differently. But soft, I would never want to have my, any of my kids play for a soft coach. I'll tell you that. Yeah. What? How did you – because uh, we were talking about the pew in the beginning of this, but we didn't really get into it. How did the um... – the opportunity to coach the Pews baseball team come about and um, what, like, what was the, what were you doing prior to that opportunity coming across your lap? And then um, what were, when you met with the AD and stuff like that, what were the, you know, private conversations and then going a little bit further into it when you had your first team meeting, whether that was with parents or without parents, what was from your point of view, you're playing for you, the expectation that you set with the, the kids right away? Well, I'm going to go a little bit backwards. I do a parent meeting every year mm-hmm. before the season starts and give them my expectations and tell them what I want. But in high school, I don't want to hear from the parents. I I, I honestly don't. I, don't <laughs> I mean, they're, they're high school kids, though. Seriously, they're old enough to figure it out themselves. Exactly, you know, unless yeah. something happens or something, I'll listen to the parents. But um, I did not want to apply for the job until Justin graduated. I didn't want to coach Justin in high school because okay. I didn't want to hear – Oh, favoritism this, favoritism that, you know, stuff like that. So as mm-hmm. soon as Justin graduated, the, the year after, I think Ashley was a senior, the coach either quit, resigned, or was let go. I can't remember what, what it was. So the job opened up. <clears throat> so I put my name in the interview. <clears throat> I interviewed for the job. I think there was four guys that interviewed, <clears throat> and I ended up getting the job. Now, <clears throat> once I had the job, I knew the year before the team was two and 14 or something like that, mm-hmm. four and 14. They weren't really good. And they brought back all the players. So I brought Tony on board to help me coach. And we talked about it before. And I'm like, this might be a work in progress. <clears throat> First year we went to the B1 championship. I think we went 14 and four or something like that with the same kids. They just weren't coached by a coach that breaks down fundamentals and teach them the right way. It's how I look at it. So, I mean, I've coached them. This is my sixth or seventh year now. I've had a winning record every year. We won the sectional title last year for the first time in 51 years. Two years before that, we won a division title for the first time in 35 years. So, I mean, I I wanted the job because I lived four minutes from there and my kids went there. Mm-hmm. So I thought the, I thought the baseball program should have been a lot better than it was. I didn't think the coaches had the, how do I want to put it? <clears throat> the best interest of the team, you know, you know what I mean? They were just there for the money is how I looked at it. Yeah. Me, I didn't care about the money. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. <laughs> um, only because I'm trying to think, like, I always had an issue, um, how do I, how do I, take basketball, for example, like I think John Otto was a great coach. I really enjoyed having yep. him as a coach, but one thing that I did not understand for the life of me, like, and it wasn't until I got to college and I don't even know if I brought this up to you or not, but I think that 
high school coaches nowadays, they don't um, – it sounds like I'm taking a shot at auto. I'm really not. But it's more so of just, like, what I see in growing up playing basketball in the leagues we played in. and the, It was always like, okay – you're you're the tallest guy you're gonna play you're gonna play center right but then you look at more so like a question than a statement but then you look at d1 basketball and you see that okay point guards are the same size as me so what i was always curious about like when i playing college lacrosse it was very like the size of it didn't matter whereas growing up it was always like for me for example they're like okay you're the tallest kid you're gonna end up playing so you haven't had the ball handling skills and all that of like a like a, a a point guard or two or three guard should. So I can understand why putting me at maybe like a five or a four. But for most coaches, they immediately are just like, oh, you're the tallest guy. You're going to go to this position without trying to just look at what the talent as a player. And then being like, okay, yeah, maybe you are six four, six five, and you're the tallest guy. So we're going to have you run point. Um, when you coach baseball, do you coach? in that manner of like let me see what i have first before you just <clears throat> put a position based on their size or anything like that oh absolutely i mean go back to the interview when i interviewed for the school job they asked me what my offensive philosophy was which you know there's no such thing but yeah. my response was if i have some big ass guys that can hit home runs we're gonna do that if i have a lot of little fast guys we're gonna play small ball and bunt. it depends on what i have you know, but there's no, I, like right now on my travel team, my best hitter plays third base, which is normally a place for a bigger guy. Mm-hmm. He's just, he's smaller and athletic, but he plays third base because he's quick, can field the ball, throw it, he can hit well. So I, I don't care how big or small you are if you can play. Like prototypically, first basemen are big, tall lefties, right? That's what they, yeah. that, that's what they want. If you, if you can play first base and you're five foot, nine five ten i don't have a problem with that so it's just that's how i look at it i never you know stereotypically put somebody somewhere because of size or whatever but you know you try to in baseball you try to you build your team from the middle up catcher pitcher short second center so those got to be all athletic people then on the outer outsides you usually can put your bigger stronger guys that aren't too quick and stuff like that i don't do it that way i try to have a fast team everywhere on the field that's what mm-hmm. I prefer, but it doesn't always work that way in high school. It depends on who the hell comes tries out. Yeah. How did you, because I don't think you mentioned it, who approached, did you just apply for the DePue job or were you approached by uh, someone for it? <clears throat> no, I applied for it. I mean, I, I talked about it for a few years because I was frustrated with what was going on over there. And then I finally applied for it. And, you know, like I said, I got it then. And it was funny because the AD at the time, Brian Wilson, had told me, there was a couple families that were like, oh, you can't hire Dennis. He's crazy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and he, he goes, he goes, I just disregarded. This is after my first year. And we went to the B1 championship and I won coach of the year the first year I coached too. Uh-huh. And he goes, yep, I'm glad I didn't listen to them. <laughs> so Did they ever you know, say everybody why has, they you were not crazy? everybody likes what's that? Say why you were crazy. Oh, just cause I'm, cause I'm loud. Oh, okay. Because I'm loud. So the parents think, you know, some parents think just because you're loud, you're nuts. It's not true. You know, I'd rather have a coach I could hear than a coach I don't hear. And I'm at shortstop going, what? What do you want? No, you know, exactly. Like, I mean, six six years of coaching, I've, like I said, I've won a sectional title, division title, two coaches of the year. That's not too shabby of a resume. No, it's not. Um, what, uh, if you didn't get the Depew job, are you going to try something else? I know you were doing the baseball operations at, what is it? It's not Inferno anymore. What was it? New Era? Aces, it, well, it's Inferno Inc. Aces Baseball. Mm. It's, they, don't have it's the, Aces. they don't have the eye with the little flaming ball anymore. They do in their, in their uh, for the title on the website and stuff like that. But the corporation is still Inferno Inc., but the baseball program is called Aces. Mm-hmm. Aces Baseball. It used to be New Era Baseball. But I was doing that even when I was coaching high school. Yeah, you were doing both. When, yeah, um, I was doing both. And coaching and refereeing high school basketball. What, uh, what was that podcast you were on? Tip of the Tip of the Cap? Tip of it? the Cap. Yes, Tip of the Tip Cap. Of the, tip of the cap uh, I was listening to that, and 
one of the things you mentioned was they were asking you or he was asking you, I think like how you, how you are as a pitching coach and stuff like that. And you were saying that it's more important and correct me if I'm wrong. You're saying it's more important to teach a kid how to place a ball before they incorporate the speed. Is that correct? It's all located. Yeah. Location. I mean, the, the, the key to pitching is location and movement. Mm-hmm. If your ball don't move, you're going to get lit up. Okay. And if you don't, if you can't locate, you're going to get lit up. <clears throat> Cause if you can't, if you got an O2 count, you can't put it on the outside corner and you throw it over the middle of the plate, it's going to get crushed. So I've always taught location and movement first and then start working on velocity. I mean, the velocity will come as they get bigger and stronger. And I teach them how to work out properly to get to the point where they can throw harder and faster and stuff like that. But you always got to have, I mean, and an example, I mean, I don't know, you're probably not going to know it, but baseball guys will. Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, and them from the Atlanta Braves back in the days couldn't break a pane of glass. They didn't throw super hard, but they would hit every corner whenever they wanted to. They would put it on the black. I mean, they were just phenomenal. And that's how I pitched when I pitched. I couldn't, I didn't throw super hard, but I could yeah. locate the ball. You've seen Justin pitch. He didn't throw super hard, but he could locate it and he could throw any pitch at any time and locate it. And that's key. How do you like? How do you? I'm trying to think. Like for a kid, though, that how do you break it down to them so that they buy into what you're saying? Because I feel like kids have that notion of like I just need to be throwing absolute missiles. Um, that's how I feel like that's just how people think. Like, they, well, how do you get a kid to buy into being like, look, we're gonna do slow, we're gonna do this, and we're gonna slowly build it. Well, it's funny because when I first get them, when I you know I have I did a few lessons this year, but I used to do, shit, I would do 30 lessons a month, if not more. And I would break down their their motion first and make sure they're balanced and make sure they got good drive and everything else. If you fix the start of your windup, it usually helps you with your location. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of times locations all over the place because they're throwing across their body. They're falling off the mound. They're doing something different. You know what I mean? And you fix it. Yeah. But you, you, you just tell them. I mean, not all of them buy into it, obviously. You, you, know, you know that. You tell them. Once you learn how to locate and have movement, throw to your two seam because it moves more than your four seam, then then you're going to have success. And then you start working on your velocity. And as you get bigger and stronger, the velocity comes. Mm-hmm. Now, if they don't, some people are just like, I just want to throw hard. Well, okay, you're going to pitch for about two years. <laughs> and why? You just fuck up your arm? Yep, going to blow out your arm. You know, yes. or they're throwing curveballs at 12 years old, 40% of the time in the game. It's like, all right, this kid's done. He's not going to play in high school. You know? mm-hmm. so. And everybody's no. got a different philosophy of pitching. I threw submarine, sidearm and submarine. When I get a kid to come to me at a lesson, I work with what they do. I don't try to change them like other people do. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, I just never heard like I when I was listening to that I thought it was interesting because I maybe maybe I didn't have the best of coaches growing up um obviously I did I said it as a joke but there are like finer details the higher levels you go up mm-hmm. I always thought there's not enough of that exposure to the younger and youth levels because I feel like the younger like if I would have known like say if I was playing baseball and I would have known like okay the speed's gonna come I need to just figure I need to be able to like place the ball versus just trying to missile it down the plate. I feel like if I was playing baseball, I'd be a way better pitcher. Having that information and knowledge and having someone coach that versus just like, okay, I'm just going to try to throw heaters and get this guy to strike out. Yep, exactly. And that's what I taught Justin. He he did well. So Not me, though, because I fucking hit everyone. (laughs) Yeah, not you because you were just terrible. I was like like playing dodgeball on the mound. (laughs) Yeah, kids kids didn't even want to get in the box. That's right. (laughs) <laughs> no okay so obviously um talk about more more serious note of um you know what's currently going on so you know for people that don't know you currently are you're current als um correct you were diagnosed what last march last april july J- july okay july and what has like, I don't want to say what, like what is, what is ALS? Like, obviously I know, but I'm saying from the sake of doing this, like what is ALS and how has it affected your family? 
Well, ALS is also known as Lou Gehrig's disease, and it, it's a neuro- neurological disease that kills your muscles. That, you know, you get, and it's, it's from the brain. It's been in my family. I'm the 27th person in my family to get it, which is absurd because it's only supposed to be 50-50 chance to get it, but it seems like 100% chance. Um, <clears throat> it's It's tough. It really is because... Right now, I have one leg that works, and it's getting weaker. I can't do anything around the house, really. I can't bend over. I can still drive. I can still go out with the guys. I can still do stuff like that. But it's taken a toll on on Jen, on my wife, a little bit. She's doing a lot more, and you can see it in her. you know. And Ashley's trying to help out, but you know how Ashley is. She's a pain. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's a tough disease. It's, it has no cure. Originally, it was seven months to 18 months is the time frame that we were looking at. I'm definitely at 18 months or more for right now. So the I'm taking an experimental drug called Tafirsin, or mm-hmm. Tafirsin, the way you pronounce it. And it's an, it's an injection into my spine. It's not a shot. It's an injection. And it's supposed to slow it down a little bit. There's no cure. Nothing's going to stop it. But it seems to be slowing it down. Now, what side effects are going to happen? I have no idea because it's a experimental drug. I mean, I'm just a hamster running on a wheel, basically. Yeah. But I definitely had symptoms April, May of last year when I was refereeing basketball. I was doing a time and nickels game, and my knee gave out on me going down the court. And I was like, oh, that felt weird. And I just didn't, didn't think nothing of it. A couple of weeks later, it happened again while I was refereeing. So then baseball season started and I went and got it looked at after baseball season and they thought I had to tear my meniscus. So I went for physical therapy and then I started having muscle atrophy in my left thigh and I knew right then and there what it was. So I told the guy I won't be back. I knew I had ALS and uh, the rest is history. I mean, we're just sitting here. Unfortunately, it sucks. You know, there's no cure. So the inevitable is going to happen, but I'm trying to live my life one day at a time and enjoy myself, you know? Yeah. When, well, growing up, you've always had like Lou Gehrig pictures around the house and stuff like that. And that is how your mom passed away, correct? Yeah. When I was 11 years old, she passed away at Lou Gehrig's. And then, um, and then your sister, Deneen, which I vaguely remember because we were, we were really young. We were like, we were Justin, Justin and I were, cause Ashley and I are five years apart. So um justin and i were what like second third grade if that possibly yeah i don't remember um what and i was i always remember you saying like growing up that you never wanted to get tested you never wanted to know and if it was to happen but you didn't want to be bothered with it do you obviously like i could understand that from the aspect of like the evolution of science it being what it is today but do you wish that you would have been tested earlier done screenings earlier or would you have never would you have not changed anything about that no because it, it wouldn't have mattered because there was nothing nothing then i mean this drug i'm on just came out two months before i got diagnosed mm-hmm. so even if i got tested is all it would have been was yeah you have the gene and i would have been thinking the whole time well shit when's it going to come you know, not getting tested, I always thought maybe I didn't have it. You know what I mean? I had that option. So, yeah, I'm I'm glad I never got tested. It's I wouldn't have cha- I wouldn't have changed it, without a doubt, because there was no reason to get tested. There was no cure. There was no drug. There was no nothing. So, is what? What? What was? Okay, so that day. So I remember. I was. I was actually in my room. I was at, I was, I was here. I was home and I was in my room and I had a call. I was by myself and I got a call from aunt Jenny and she never calls me unless it's like, we're all meeting up later. And she had. So when I saw her calling me, I figured figured either you guys were together and you were driving and you told, um, you told her to give me a call, like whatever. And I answered the phone. I was like, what's up? And she like, didn't say anything. And I was like, hello. And she was very like, I'm like, yeah. And and then she obviously said that you got diagnosed and then that she was relaying the message to me because 
you know, you want to right away because you were still like going through everything like mentally of just like the initial shock of it and and obviously finding out when you found out from your doctor that day or when you said you know what i'm not i'm i'm not coming back i already like i know what this is and then you got the official diagnosis like what was that like if you can remember what was that first initial like snapshot of like emotions and thoughts well me and jen were sitting in the office in the, in the room or whatever. And he came and told us and we just, we both broke down, you know, you know, both cried. You know, he left us alone for about 10, 15 minutes. And then uh, when he came back in, it was what to, you know, we started talking about what to expect, what we need to do and that. So, I mean, it's, it sucked, you know, it's, it's a death sentence. So, I mean, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? No, exactly. What did you, how did you break it to Justin and Ashley? Well, we told Ashley that night when she came home from school or whatever. So, and she was, you know, you could see she was in shock, you know, and I apologized to her and she told me it's not your fault, blah, 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 this and that, you know, Justin, I waited. Um, We went down to North Carolina. I didn't post anything on Facebook. I didn't tell anybody. We didn't want it out because I wanted to tell Justin to his face because I didn't want him to find out secondhand. So we went down there on his, for his graduation from the police academy. Mm-hmm. And we told him down there. And he, he took it a little bit hard. He went outside. You know, he during the academy, he uh, his, his sergeant or whatever gave him some time off to do stuff with us. But I, that's when after that, that's when I posted something on facebook and twitter about it and that's when uh harry skull reached out to me you, you know harry he did the stories on me and all that crap so yeah that's that's how i told the kids it was tough telling them you know no for sure i actually speaking of harry i just he was like right in front of me and i was yelling for him and he looked and he just like shook his head and laughed <laughs> <laughs> um no, but yeah, because we went to, we did Chicago, we went to Chicago, and um, <laughs> you almost whooped my ass when we were going up that, what's that one bar that was like right next to the stadium? <laughs> oh, yeah, dude, that took, that took like a month off my life. <laughs> but I I was told it's a good bar, and then it's like walking 20 stories just to get to the bar, and then the food was raw, like, yeah, never again. Um what has I know because it was like an initial like I know I've never said this to you but when we did your benefit and we had your benefit I was I was one how many people showed up and then two the amount of baskets and everything and then even all my friends that showed up like Mark came in from out of town I had a couple friends from Rochester come in from out of town like just wasn't expecting it at all so like from your point of view, like what, like how, how over, cause it's to say it's not overwhelming is a flat out lie. Like what, how overwhelming has been like all the love and the support that you've been given since like the diagnosis, the benefit and just like everything in between. Um, even with like going to weekly lunches with your boys and, and stuff like that. Well, I mean, it's it, the, the benefit alone was crazy. I mean, it's kind of funny. Harry interviewed me up on the stage there. He asked me what I thought of all the people. You know, and I said, well, it's a going away party. They can't wait for me to leave. And he was like, Jesus, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, as a coach, to have, uh, shit, there must have been a dozen umpires there. You know, usually coaches and umpires don't get along. But to, to, they showed up. Um, ex-kids, you know, there was a couple guys I played college baseball with I haven't seen since college that came. You know, there's people there that I ha- haven't seen in years and they told me that's the most people that have ever been in that building. Over 600 people showed up. So it was definitely overwhelming. That Between that, the GoFundMe account, um, the Western New York Athletic Days when they did that for me, you know, all the baseball teams out there at Niagara Falls. Um, yep. just All that stuff is just crazy. But it just goes to show you, and again, the baseball community is tight-knit. Everybody knows each other, and they you help each other out. I mean – I was definitely overwhelmed. It was, it was crazy, but it was, it was, you know, and you know me, John, I don't want charity. I hate charity, you mm-hmm. know, but we needed help. I mean, 
she's going to need help even when I'm gone, you know, for a little while. Cause you, you know, it's not going to be the same for, for her. So. No, it's going to be a, uh, I, I've never said it to her. I've, I was talking with my mom stuff. It's going to be a like life. Yep. Like it's going to be a complete 180. Um, what, how, how, like how have the conversations behind closed doors been with like your boys, like Tony, John and, and, and Dave and all those guys, like how, like how have they been taking it? Obviously, you know, it's not easy for them, but like what, what, because I feel like when you first find out, you have so many questions and like you have so many fears and like your mind goes crazy about it. What were like those conversations with them and like what were like, you know, just like those closed doors behind the scenes conversations with them and like how they're taking it and stuff? Because I know like after the benefit, when we were moving some of the stuff back into your garage of like people that didn't claim baskets and there was that Captain Morgan's thing and I was just... And I was moving that and I was like, damn, I'm like, I might steal this. Um, Tony had, Tony like went to the side of the garage and like took a deep breath. And I'm like thinking like, oh man, this guy's going down. And he was just, I was like, are you good? He's like, yeah, no, no, no. He's like, it's good. I'm good. He's like, I've known Dennis my whole life. It's just really hard for me. Yeah. They're all taking a little, I mean, Tony Calabrese and Dave Ronconi in the beginning were in denial. There was, oh, you're going to live for 10 years. And I'm telling them, no, no, I'm not. (laughs) And I'm giving you a heads up. Jay Drenning. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's grounded. He knows what's going on, but he's, he's, he lives with a religious family. So his beliefs, you know, are different than other people's, you know, they'll say that I hang out with, but it's tough on them. I mean, like Dave, me and Dave went to lunch yesterday and he saw that I'm using crutches now. And he's like, what the hell? And I was like, yeah, I said, I fell down in the kitchen. My left leg is worse. I can't put any really a lot of weight on it. So I'm using crutches. He's like, Jesus Christ. So he's, He's still a little bit in denial, but I think he's starting to see it now. But, you know, they, it's the, the one thing about my buddies, and I remember Jackie saying it one time in, in their garage. She goes, you know, I don't care what you say about Dennis. He's had the same friends forever, and that's unusual. And it is. You, don't, you know, it's you don't usually have, shit, I got six guys I hang around with on a regular basis that we've been together forever. You know, and it's going to be tough. You know, I know. I think it's going to be really hard on Tony Calabrese <clears throat> for him. Dave will hold it in a little bit. I think this is the way he is, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's going to be tough on him because and like again, like I said, they were in denial in the beginning when it's kind of funny, a quick story. So me and Dave are considered the assholes of the group. Mm-hmm. So when I got diagnosed, when I called Dave, how I told him was, I said, Hey Dave, you know how we always say assholes going to live forever. He's like, yeah. I go, it's not true. <laughs> He's like, so you're not truly an asshole. <laughs> no, yeah, no, for sure. What has, um, how has your, did you, you, did you know Harry prior to everything that was going on and the story that he was running for you, or no. is that a? Okay, that's what I thought. How has that relationship? Because I look at him as kind of like a. Uh, um, I wouldn't say a family member, but he's more so of just like, uh, I feel like we've gotten, we've all gotten, um, close enough to him that we're all comfortable enough around him to like consider him like right outside on the outskirts of it because of everything that he's done and his dedication with everything, whether it's, you know, everything going on with you, it was Justin's wedding, just like, how has that relationship, like, what is that relationship meant for you? Um, well, it's kind of funny because when I posted that on Facebook, when I was at Justin's place, Harry reached out to me via Facebook messenger mm-hmm. and said that the Lord reached out to him asking and saying that he should tell my story. And he asked permission to tell my story. And that's the first time I've ever talked, knew who he was or anything. <clears throat> and I told him, I said, I have no problem with it. Let me talk to my family because I don't want my family being intruded on if they don't want to be. Yeah, for sure. So I talked to Jen, I talked to Justin, I talked to Ashley, and they were all okay with it. So I said, Harry, sure, that's fine. So when I got back home from Carolina, he wanted to meet, and he he told me what he wanted to do. He wanted to take pictures, you know, do chronological order of what I'm doing. I mean, he went with us golfing. He's came to one of my injections. I mean, I've been in the paper twice now. And Sean Kirst does a great job writing the story, too. But Harry... He was here for Christmas taking pictures. Like you said, he, he did Justin's wedding for him. I mean, he's just, 
he, he's a religious guy. Hell, he had me, he introduced me to Jack Del Rio. You know, That's right. Different. Yeah. I texted him the other night after their big win and he texted me back. He's like, thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. Blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's like Harry just, he's been a really good dude. Now he just calls me and busts my balls about shit. Like when the Yankees lost, he was messing with me the whole time. Yeah. But yeah, now now he's just one of the guys now. He's you know, and he, he'll text me or call me or whatever and take pictures. And like I said, he, he I asked him how many more stories they're gonna do. He goes, hopefully they can do a ton more, you know, because he already he told me right off the bat he wants to do it from the beginning all the way to the end. So I'm sure it's gonna go to when I pass away. He's gonna probably try to do something then too, you know, with the family and that. So. Could you do me a favor and text Jack, Jack Del Rio and tell him he fucked me out of my parlay with that W? <laughs> I literally had a 12-leg parlay going, and all I needed was the Eagles to beat the Commanders. And uh, off of no, one, off no, of one no. dollar. No, I'm not going to text him. No. $247. No, i am not going to text him for that. I know you're not going to text him. I was just fucking around. Um, you, what is uh, – getting back on track here with that um we haven't really had many i mean we had a conversation when we were driving back from carolina um when you were educating me when you were educating me on uh ronald reagan being a former the what were the other things that you you taught me where you said that uh that i didn't know sleep in their truck yeah i was okay there was five things there was ronald reagan there was the driver in the truck and what were the the, the I three others? I just yeah, I didn't, yeah, I don't. That that was funny. What has um? I know obviously, like we've had conversation around, you know, what's the common stuff like that, and you know what your expectations are of um, you know, Ashley and just as a whole, like what has like when when your time does come, because obviously it's inevitable. Um, what what are some things if you care to share that you spoke with Justin about or Ashley about that you kind of want, if there is anything for them to take on like a bigger role within the family of helping Jenny and stuff like that. Well, Justin, not much because he lives in North Carolina, but I just told Ashley to be there for her mom. That's all I told her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I said, don't, don't be a, don't be a normal Ashley. Like you always are to her. <laughs> What's a normal Ashley? <laughs> a bitch. <laughs> She, 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 her and Ashley are like water and oil. You know, it's it's just you know me and Ashley are tight. You know, we got we get along really well, and her and her mother they just don't. You know, and they they've been getting along a little better lately. But I just told Ashley, I was like, just be there for your mom, whatever she needs. That's all I ask. And then then I joked and told her, told Ashley, mom can't date anybody I know. And Ashley goes, that's everybody. And I said, that's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah is she what's does she plan on does she plan on moving to carolina where justin is or does she have any plans at all or no who's that jenny um i told her because our plans our plans were to move to south carolina when i turned yep. 55 mm-hmm. and obviously that's not going to happen so i told her i said don't change the plans still go but just move in north, in north carolina especially if justin has a kid if he has a kid why not move down there and be the nanny? You know what I mean? Yeah, true. I said, sell the house and get a townhouse or something out that way and be down there. Don't stay here. There's, I mean, she's like, well, my family's here. I said, yeah, your family moved to Columbus before and didn't give a shit about you. So what do you care? Yeah. So what would have been, I'm trying to think like, cause I haven't asked you, I'm thinking of some things I haven't asked you around you know, the ALS and and stuff like that. What has been, obviously there's the physical toll that it's taking. What is the mental toll? Like, what are some things that I I know it's significant, of course, what are the, like, what are some things that like you have to battle every single day mentally that people that don't know much about ALS and don't know much about it that because your body, your mind, your mind stays intact, but your body goes. So like, what has been like the mental hurdles? Cause knowing you not to, air out your laundry like that you're the type of guy that puts a front on and makes it seem like it's better than what it actually is so i'm asking you on like a personal vulnerable level being your nephew what what are the things that you wake up every morning and you're just like fuck that every you morning. don't every morning yes that you don't care to 
express or feel to others because you don't want them, like you said, charity, but like for the sake of like educating people on how is like, what are those things? Well, I mean, you think about life in general. I mean, all the time when I'm driving around, I'd look at the clouds, the trees, you know, you look at everything differently, you know, everything differently. I even said that in, uh, in the newspaper article and that too before, like just the other day, I dreamt, I was dreaming. I went for a jog, which I don't know why I never fucking went for a jog. Excuse my French, mm-hmm. but I was dreaming, dreaming that I went for a jog. When I woke up, I realized my left leg don't work. I'm like, God, Jesus, you know, this sucks. But it's just, you, you think about everything differently, everything. And then you think about the end too. You know, I mean, I've, your, your mind is constantly racing. Like my Jen says that I'll in my sleep, sometimes I hit her and I punch her. <laughs> But it's just, <laughs> you're not sleeping <laughs> I, t- I told her i said she probably deserved it <laughs> i it's just your mind's racing constantly you're wondering you know you know when's it when's it going to be the end what's going on is there anything afterwards because you know me i'm not the most religious fellow in the world no of course well, you know is you know but i think i live my life the right way and i think i've done enough stuff that if i'm wrong and there is a god i, I will go to heaven but I just can't see how that could be. But my sister's very religious and she's, you know, she's praying. Everybody's praying for me. And I always tell them, I'll take as much prayers as you can give me. But as far as putting on a front, you, I joke around about, about this a lot. And then but the reason why I do is because it keeps me sane. Of you course. Know, if I don't, if I, woe is me all the time and sit there and just think about it all the time, you'll go crazy. You'll go absolutely crazy. I mean, I know, my sister Janine tried finding the Lord. She was the same way as me. She tried finding it before she died and she couldn't, and she was freaking out. Um, my mom was a little bit religious. I know she went to church and all that, but I was so young. I don't remember what happened there, but when the time comes, am I going to be scared? Hell yeah. I'm going to be scared. It's going to suck. You know, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I'm taking advantage of what I have. I mean, I'm doing what I can do. Like you said, going to lunches with my boys every week. We never used to do that. Take take advantage of it now. Even though it's only one guy here, one guy there sometimes, it's still hanging out with my buddies. You know? Yeah. Would you, what is like your, I don't want to say your advice because that's not necessarily the right thing, but like how, what, what about everything you're going through right now? Like you said, you look at things differently. Was that, is that more so of just like you just have noticed you just, have been more focused on like the simplicity of what life has to offer. And you look at it from that point of view because of what you're going through, or are you more so of looking at it from a, like a zoomed out view of just like, look, like everyone's time's eventually going to come. Mine unfortunately is coming faster than I hope it for. And there's a lot that I'm going to miss out on anything you want to do, go fucking do it. Or like, what is, you know, your message around that? Because uh, I know when we were when we were planning like the trip and we ultimately decided on Chicago and stuff like that. And, you know, I travel a lot and stuff like that or even like to do you just constantly. We're just like, take look at look at me and take me as an example. Just fucking do it. Just like just go do it. Yep. Yep. it, it what 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 are those like thoughts that you have of like not that you would live life differently, but like now because of this, how has it changed that outlook for you? Well, it was both reasons you talked about. I I slow down now and and take a look at everything. You know what I mean? Where before I would just when I'm driving, I was just driving to where I had to get to go to. Now when I'm driving, I look around, see everything, check everything out. You know what I mean? It's just it's and and what I'm gonna miss. You know, shit like that. You know, but it's 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 definitely you know slow down and smell the roses. That that saying mm-hmm. is true. It's a hundred percent true because tomorrow's not guaranteed. You know, for anybody. And it's kind of funny because sometimes my, a lot of quotes and podcasts and I was on Spectrum News and a newspaper and everything else. I said, everybody has an expiration date. Mine's just a little sooner than others. You know, that's how you got to look at it, unfortunately. But yeah, yeah I look at like I look outside and I watch the leaves. Fall is always one of my favorite times of the year. Best time it. of the year. I love it. You know, but. Now I look at it and it's like, hmm. put it this way. You said it to me when we were in Chicago, you thought no way in hell I'd still be here right now. 
no, 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 no. We're no, not no, walking. No, no, no. Yes, I was about to say. I, I did. I know for a fact that I did not say that. No, because when we were when we were leaving, um, we were, we were leaving Wrigley. Yeah, when we were leaving Wrigley, and it's kind of like how Fenway is, where Wrigley and Fen- Fenway and then Wrigley are the two oldest stadiums. Um, excuse me, I thought I had a burp, but um, <laughs> no, when we were was like a mile away because they had it's all bars around Wrigley and it's all shops and bars and stuff and they had it all and you had to do the walking and you were walking all day um with the cane and it was like fucking up your leg and making you um you were using me as like a crutch but like I could tell again you putting on a front you were pretending as if you like you were fine but your fingers were digging into my shoulder and just like from that experience of walking, just get on my back, and you're like, I'm not getting on my fucking nephew's back, blah, 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 like you being yourself, is I was I was just like, there's no way that a year from now, if you are still alive, that you're going to be walking. Like, there's just, like, I don't, like, especially if the doctor's telling you you have a seventh, uh, what, 18, 18 months, like yep. 12 months from now, there's no, like, there's no way. There's no way. And then obviously here you are still, like, and screaming that's not the right word but um (laughs) it's more so of like you're still like obviously you're holding on i when i talk about it with you know like guzda and i have have had some conversations around it or even like tyler and i or even like the gabriels and stuff like that um with either josh or like esther and stuff like that i contribute that wholeheartedly to just your fuck you fuck off mentality um that's just that's just what I can do to the injections that you're getting and stuff like that. That helps as well. But like, wh- why do you think that you're still walking? Do you think it's the injections? Like, what? Like, what is it? Because it's just like show. It's like so shocking to me, and I think that's why so many people make jokes that like I say you're still going to be here for another ten years, like Tony did, and you're just like I'm not. But obviously, hearing those things and like seeing, even though you're doing, you seeing that progress of oh, this time last year not disrespectfully but just based on what i've been telling them about it and i'm still going what how what has that done for you in your spirit because obviously the whole you being on the decline is tough regardless but like does that raise your spirits at all like how does that how's that been helping you well i mean i think me me moving around and still doing shit has helped for sure instead of just sitting around being woe is me you know what I mean? Refusing to use a walker, refusing to use a wheelchair. Because Jen's tried to get me to use a walker for a while. My sister has. Everybody has. And I'm like, screw that. I'm not going to use it until I have to. You know what I mean? And the mm-hmm. injections, I'm sure, help too, without a doubt. I have no doubt in my mind the drug I'm taking has definitely slowed it down some. When I say some, some. It's not going to stop it, like I said. But, I mean, obviously it makes me a lot happier knowing I, you know. I was here for Christmas last year. It looks like I'll be here for Christmas this year. You know, I'd like to get through another year of coaching high school baseball and maybe the summer baseball. I'll be surprised if I'm coaching this summer, though, to be honest with you. But that's still a ways away. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, my spirits are – they are what they are. I mean, there's days that I'm in a pissy mood and Jen can see it and she just leaves me alone. You know, because, I mean, like – Nobody's walking in my shoes. They don't know what it feels like. So if you no, see me in a place, oh, just leave me alone, I tell them. You know? But it's aggravating. Like right now, I'd love to have my Christmas lights up outside. I can't do it. I'd love to have it. I, I used to. I can't do it. You know? Mm-hmm. But that's the only thing that sucks. A lot of shit I can't do now. But well, one thing you... Yeah, and uh, being a little bit more lighthearted, one thing you should not do anymore ass bologna sandwich <laughs> love bologna that no, was the funniest shit. thing you ever said you're like you got money and you're eating like you're in prison <laughs> like let me get two two bologna sandwiches it's like all the all the food you have in your fridge and you want fucking bologna i like bologna disgusting disgusting yeah. well you know wrapping it wrapping it wrapping it up here um obviously around the conversation i ending ending the podcast i always ask like very, um a bit different because i have a couple more 
than anyone else I would, but like, how do you, how do you want to be by your own family, especially Justin, Ashley and I, um, how do you want us to remember? Like, what are you hoping that we remember you for and as aside from obviously being like a father and an uncle, like what are you, have taken from you that we will always like have with us. I mean, you hit one of one of the things is just, you know, like I, like I told everybody just, you know, do what you want to do and do it whenever you want to do it. Cause I've always been that way. Even before I was sick, you know, that, you know, mm-hmm. I've always, I've always done what I wanted to do, you know, and, and not like, Oh, screw you to my family. I'm going to go do it, but don't wait to do stuff. You know, that's one thing I hope everybody understands. You know, and two is just, you know, I, I'm, I'm different. I'm a different type of cat. I could be called an asshole or whatever. I've had people tell me I'm the coolest asshole they've ever met. But at the same time, I want my kids, even you, just to just remember me the way I was. That's it, man. You know, don't remember me the way I am with ALS. You know, remember me when we were playing out in the street and doing stupid shit and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, or remember you for breaking Justin's collarbone? <laughs> I did not. He jumped over me. <laughs> I know. Fine. Stop. Social services will come again. I mean, he should have came after you. Like, uh, lucky bitch slapped me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, cat, that cat was a good judge of character. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, when, to, when you were 18... You could meet eighteen-year-old Dennis now. What, what would you tell him? <laughs> I'd tell him to finish school, go to college, and finish school. I mean, I, I had a decent job. I got lucky. Worked in the steel industry. You know, was a supervisor, ops manager, rebar company. I got lucky, but I went to school for telecommunications. I wanted to be a sports anchor or sports news guy or something like that, and I never finished. And I'd, I'd tell him to go and finish. For sure. I I never knew that, that you wanted to be a sports news anchor. Yep, that's what I want. I went to school for telecommunications. Oh, I didn't know that. Working on ESPN with your boy, Stephen A? That's what I, yeah, my boy. Yeah, that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> no, yeah. Saying the last thing I have for you, what is, like, what, what advancements from your point of view that, you think that could be made in the next decade to combat ALS? I know you said that it's not curable at the moment, but what are some things that because of all the trials and all the things that have been going on that you could, you think could be done to give more awareness to what's going on and eventually come up with a drug or a cure to what's going on? Well, they say stem cell research would cure MS, Parkinson's, ALS, and all that stuff, but that's never going to happen. So, I mean, they just got to keep pushing on with what they're doing because obviously the Teforsen or whatever that I'm taking is doing something. But just give you an example. Remember the ice bucket challenge? Yes. Everybody was dumping ice on their face, but nobody was donating money. You have to do, you need money to do research. You need money to make, you know, experimental drugs. You can dump as many buckets of ice on your head as you want. If you ain't donating money, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? So that, that, that's one thing is they just need more funding to help try to find a cure. I mean, but the sad part is I posted something on Facebook the other day. I don't think, I don't know if you saw it or not, but 41 or whatever years ago was uh, Lou Gehrig. If he was diagnosed today would have the same diagnosis. There's that that long, 81 years and still nothing's changed. Oh, I was going to say, what do you mean? So, so nothing, there's been nothing to combat the original. Yeah, I mean, he'd still die of, Luke, of ALS. 81 years, still die of ALS. And it's, nothing has changed. I mean, can it slow it down now? Okay, yeah. But you're still going to die of it. I mean, that's crazy to think of. AIDS is curable. Mm-hmm. You know? I don't know. Yeah, what has, like, what is, do you know, like, like, what have doctors said to you that that's the that's like the holdup on on everything? Oh no, there really there's no doctors told me anything like that. You know, it's just you know I'm I'm on a lot of pages for ALS on Twitter and all that stuff, and there's doctors on there that tweet out stuff and all that. Canada's got some drug out now that's 
similar to what I'm taking. It's just, it's just crazy that there's nothing better. And with 81 years, there's nothing out there better that if Lou Gehrig got ALS today, he'd die from it today too. That's crazy. That's pretty much it. So I, um, I appreciate you doing this. Um, I know that there's a million other things you'd rather be doing right now, but glad I could steal uh, an hour and a half of your time. The only thing I could do right now is watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> so, but appreciate this, obviously. Um, you know what it means to me. And as always, all love, my man. Absolutely, bro. I appreciate it. Have to you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.